0: I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. Today, we're talking with former UFC women's bantamweight champion Misha Tate. The 34-year-old returned to the octagon in late July after a nearly five-year retirement, during which she had two children. In her comeback bout, Tate's trademark grappling skills were on full display as she earned a win by TKO over Marion Renault. Tate says she feels stronger and faster than ever and has her sights set on a championship. Misha, thanks so much for joining us today. Food of the Gods is just, we talk to elite athletes about how they train and how they eat to fuel their performance. And I'm super interested, obviously, in talking to you about how that stuff has changed over the course of your career in kind of career one, now that you're in career two. But I do also want to be able to give folks a little bit of background about you. I know that you wrestled on a boys team in high school. If you could just share a little bit about how you came to that and how it led you to MMA, that would be awesome.
1: Well, I started wrestling in high school out of default, to be honest. I just had been an athlete all my life. I loved uh, doing sports. And when I became a freshman in high school, the sports seasons sort of changed. And the only sport offered for women in the winter season was basketball. Basketball just wasn't my sport, right? We all have a sport that we just simply don't gravitate towards, can't play, don't do well, don't have interest in. For me, that's basketball. I was not born to be a basketball player. And so I was just bored and I want to play a sport. And so my best friend at the time, Sharon, we were sitting in English class and she's like, I remember the moment so distinctly. She you know, She's like, hey, do you want to go out for wrestling? And I was like, but there's not a women's wrestling team. But, you know, I guess, but can we, you know? And she's like, well, you know, let, let's see. So I went home and I asked my mom and my mom was kind of like, eh, I don't think you're going to like it, but I'm not one to tell you, you know, you can't try something. So sure enough, we just showed up the next day. We didn't even ask any permissions or anything, but Turned out that they can't tell you you can't do it if they don't offer it for the women, right? So we did. And that day was very memorable. It was very hard. (laughs) They literally kicked our asses. They clearly did not want us there. They made it very tough on us. They didn't show us anything. They put us in with the very best wrestlers so that we kind of get our asses handed to us. And I think they thought we'd figure it out that we didn't belong there. But I left that day with my mind kind of blown. That I was like, I could definitely get better at this because I have a drive and desire to want to. And well, the bad news is I suck. I am horrible. I suck. at it. The good news is I can't get any worse. So I think if I just keep showing up every day, I'm bound to get better. And four years later, I was still wrestling more in love with the sport than I had ever been. And I won the coaches' award, which it's still to this day. I have won the strike force world title. Uh, I've been won the UFC world title. That one still is one of my most coveted moments in sports because I started on an all male team that didn't want me there to winning the single award that goes out to one athlete that the coaches kind of deem as the, I don't know, just a standout, maybe not the best wrestler, you know, not the team captain. They just give it out to one person that they think kind of exudes what an athlete should, I suppose. And so I remember when I won that, I was just blown away. And that's when I learned that perception can be changed. It absolutely can be changed. And that was a very valuable tool
0: when I ended up transitioning into being a mixed martial artist in college. So it's funny. I actually had a very similar experience. I played on the boys ice hockey team in high school. And I was like, am I allowed to play? And someone said, well, they don't have a girls team. So yes, you can. And went through a lot of the same stuff. They used to shoot pucks at my head and practice and thought I would figure out that I didn't belong there, but I stuck around to end up playing (laughs) in college as well. Um, Yeah, it's great. So how long did it take you to figure out that you actually had a knack for grappling? Cause you're quite known for that.
1: When I started in college, again, it was kind of a similar situation. Another girlfriend of mine said, Hey, do you want to come out and check out this mixed martial arts club sport thing that's offered at the college? I mean, she literally described it like that mixed martial arts club sport thing. And I was like, (laughs) what is that? Like, what does that mean? And she was into karate, which again, you know, I just didn't identify with it at that point coming from a wrestling background. So I was kind of like, nah, I just, I couldn't imagine myself doing that. So no, I don't think I will go with you, but thanks for the offer. She came back the next day and was like, you've got to come with me tomorrow because you'll love it. You know, a lot of former wrestlers, this and that don't want to go down a rabbit hole with this, but, but essentially I I felt obligated and I and I went to this mixed martial arts club sport thing. And I think my first day I learned what a triangle choke was. I learned what an arm bar was. I learned what a rear naked choke is. And I thought, this is cool. I could definitely add this to my wrestling repertoire, right? And I missed wrestling because I went to Central Washington University. They had cut the men's only wrestling program just a couple years before. So there was some club sports stuff, but I missed it. I really did. And so when I, when I was introduced to jujitsu, I thought that for me, I've got to pursue this. Well, little did I know that about three or four weeks later, I would actually have my first fight because I'm absolutely bonkers and nuts. And I decided to sign up for, for a fight with no previous training other than being a wrestler and some basic armbar and triangle choke defense at that point. But I did. And I, am kind of one of those people that dives in head first. And I figure if I, you know, what's the worst that can happen? That's always been my motto in life. What's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst thing that can happen in your first fight is that you get your nose broken. You don't make any money, you lose a fight and you have some pretty hard lessons. Like literally I had to take it on the chin. And especially this was at a time, mind you, when women's MMA was not the cool thing to do. Men's MMA was not the cool thing to Mm do. But women's MMA was like, that was unheard of. I mean, women just didn't do it. And if you did, there was something wrong with you, (laughs) like seriously wrong with you. That's, or that was people's perception. So yeah, I had my first fight. I learned very valuable lessons out of it. I did not win that fight, but you know, I gave it everything that I had. My corner actually ended up stopping me from going out in the third round because my nose was so badly broken. This was when ease to the face of amateurs with no kind of uh, protection, no knee pads. Mm-hmm. or anything like that were allowed we were on a reservation there was no commission there were no rule real rule set enforced so i got caught in a tie clinch which they kind of have like their hands behind your head and their forearms against your collarbone and they kind of hold you in that and she was kneeing my face and i had won the first round i took her down and i dominated the first round but the second round they were anticipating i was going to shoot again so she put me in the tie clinch. And she just started going to town. I didn't know what it was even. I didn't know how to get (laughs) out of it. So I'm just getting meat in the face. And I'm just thinking... I can't. I got to get this girl down. So I'm just shooting into these knees. And by the end of that round, I had managed to turn it around again. And I think I kind of lost probably the only time in my life in a fight where I lost my temper because again, I wasn't refined. I didn't know what I was doing. I just remember being pissed and I was mad that I was in any kind of bad position. And so I was raining down punches. She was kind of laying down beneath me and I stood up and I was just went all crazy, get out. And that was the end of their second rounds. And then my coaches were like, your nose is so badly broken. We can't even stop it from bleeding. It's an amateur fight. There's no medical here. You're not getting paid. You're a broke ass college student. We should probably stop the fight. So they did. And most people thought I would never put on gloves again or have any interest in doing the sport. But no, for me, it was like, I can't do it like that just one time and go out that way. You know, I've definitely got to do this again. So once my nose healed up and the ridicule quieted down a little bit, even amongst family members and stuff. Like, what are you going to college for? If you're just going to get your head beat in and, you know, all this crazy stuff. So yeah, but I did, I did fight again and I, and, you know, continued the evolution all the way to Here
0: You retired with an 18-7-0 record. You had some of the biggest fights on the women's stage in UFC. When you finished in November 2016, did you intend to be done or did you intend that to be a break? You wanted to have children? What were you thinking at that point?
1: Oh, I absolutely intended to be done with the sport. It was very tainted in my mind and it wasn't the sport's fault, to be honest. It was me and my personal life and everything that I had entangled with the sport that I didn't know how to separate the emotional turmoil that I was in with the sport. And truthfully, even if I could have separated myself from the toxicity that was in my personal life, which I did, I still had to really heal from that. And that took a long time. It took a long time. It took a lot of soul searching. It took a lot of mending. I was in a toxic relationship that did not lend itself to me being the strongest and most empowered version of myself that I could be. It was the furthest thing from that. So it took a lot away from what I believed that I was capable of, but I didn't even recognize that at the time. I just knew that I was so unhappy. I felt like I was drowning and I felt like I had to do something different. And I didn't know what the answer was, but I just knew I had to back away from everything that I was identifying myself with. So I could maybe try to, to figure out what the issues were and how to heal, how to fix myself. So I, I took a step away from it all. You know, the relationship I had actually ended months prior, but you know, he was also my coach. So we tried, or I tried to have him still be a part of my coaching staff, but that was just an awful, awful experience as well. So no, I lost my last two fights and I just wasn't there. I was completely checked out. Uh, my last fight, I barely even remember being there that I, it's like a, a lapse in my time and memory. I was just so in my own self and my own head that I was, I was kind of gone. I don't know how to explain it, but I just don't remember. I wasn't present. Yeah. I think I, I so badly wanted to be anywhere else and feeling any other way that I kind of just I blocked out. I blocked and blacked out everything. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't a good place to be. So I retired, and it took me one thousand seven hundred and nine days to get back into the octagon to really figure out you know my purpose again. That and that I wasn't the sport. It was just it was my life at the time, but.
0: Now we're on
1: to chapter two, which is very exciting for me. So
0: 1,709 days, you said, is that right? That's how long it was between my fights. So, but in that which I hold the space, record. by the way, that's I hold the record. That's crazy. So I, I've been you know, reading, like I, you obviously had two children in that time. And I think you actually didn't train for very long before this last fight, particularly on your MMA stuff. So what, what were you doing during the time that you were away to stay fit? I mean, you, been an athlete for forever, I imagine that you didn't just stop exercising. No, I didn't just
1: stop, but I did it, um, enjoyably at my own time, my own convenience and my own pace. Um, obviously I went into the gym, I ran on the treadmills or would run outside. I would do my weightlifting and I did a lot of jujitsu. I I just love it because I think, again, I come from that wrestling background. I'm the most comfortable barefoot and on a mat. Like that (laughs) is my sanctuary. That is my place of choice. It's my comfort. And that's where I love to be. So I spent a lot of time doing jujitsu when I wasn't pregnant, obviously. And that was it really. Other than that, it was just pretty straightforward, standard, you know, go into the gym and get your workout kind of thing. And I, I tried to stay in shape in my pregnancies. I did a better job my first pregnancy. Then I did my second because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I was pregnant, you know, at the height of the pandemic. And I was also in Singapore at the time. So everything was very strictly enforced. All the gyms closed down in every way, even the pool. And I cried when the pool shut down because I don't know if you've had, have you had children? Do you have children? I don't. Well, the, the lower back, pain that, that I at least got with it probably from being hard on my body. But you know, those last few months, just it's so difficult even sometimes to walk quickly because the torque that you have to put on your lower back, right. And everything is getting pulled forward and the weight. So I love the pool. That was like my, you know, I was like, I got to go work out. I'm going to, I'm going to get in the pool. I'm going to do some weightless exercise and swim. So I cried when that happened. And then they closed the, even the private gym and, um, it sucked, you know, it sucked. I know it wasn't easy for anybody, but that was very challenging about it for me. Did you have your son in Singapore? I did. I did. I had my son in Singapore accidentally in the bathroom. Oh God. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> we were supposed to go to the hospital, but it happened really fast. So it okay. Was like three hours. Start to stop. We didn't expect that because my first labor was three days. So
0: we thought we had a little more time than we did. So a positive and a neg- negative quicker, but you know, maybe not the best yeah. place. Oh, no, um, it was actually. You know what? I wouldn't change anything about it. It was an
1: amazing, incredible experience. I'm so thankful for that, to be honest. But it, it wasn't what we
0: planned, but that's okay. It was better than yeah. what we planned. <laughs> when did you start? You're in Singapore, you're not working out at all, you have no pool, you have a baby in a bathroom. How do you get from that point to wanting to? come back to MMA? Truthfully, having my
1: son in the bathroom and the way that you just put that all just kind of dawned on me, right? For the first time, actually, I think that was a huge turning point for me because I tried to have my daughter naturally at home. It didn't work out. I kind of fought fire with fire as you do with fighting. And when I had my son, I was so scared, absolutely out of my mind about trying to have, an, have the baby naturally again, because it was three days. Mm -hmm. of torture, essentially. And I thought, you know what? I've got to do something different again then. I can't do the same thing. So anyways, I prepared entirely different. I dove into what you need to do to get your mind into the right place to have a child naturally. So once I did that and I realized that the body follows the mind and that if you can be in a good place and target whatever your objective is, whether it's having a baby, whether it's getting a raise or getting a better position in your job or pursuing a new career or being a fighter, that if you can get your mind on that objective, you truly can do anything with your body, your body will follow. And I think at that moment, I realized I've got it all figured out. Well, I don't have it all figured out, but I have it figured out to the point where I knew I wanted to fight again. And it really was like, at that point that I had made the decision, like I want to fight again. So I told my fiance, Johnny, and he probably thought it was off my bean (laughs) but he supported my decision he supported my decision to move out to Singapore he supported my decision to move back during the pandemic because we're just we're not happy out there so closed off from friends and family but that's when I made the decision and I remember messaging Dana White on Instagram and he just kept blowing me off like ignoring me and I was like I well I want to fight again so why are you ignoring me? I was like I'm coming back there I know where you I know where your office is like I'm gonna hunt you down and then he just said, come home. And I knew just having known Dana for so long, it was kind of like a put your money where your mouth is. So I did, I came home and I showed up one day at his office and knocked on the door and was like, I'm here. I want to fight. And I, I was about four months postpartum at that time. So obviously I still had a lot of work to do to even just get myself back to being a top tier athlete. That was, you know, it took me a year really to get to that point where I was like, I know that I'm better than I was before. I'm literally better physically. I'm stronger than I was before and better, faster, everything.
0: So for those who don't know, listening to the podcast, Dana White is the president of UFC and you are literally like a past champion, super popular fighter messaging him and he's not answering you, which is actually kind of funny, but I love that you showed up at the office when you decided that, what did that workout schedule to make your comeback? What was your training schedule like at that point?
1: Well, I had to ease into it. The mind again, remembers that, Hey, body should be able to move and perform like this. That wasn't the case. You know, there were times that I remember the first time I tried sparring, just light sparring. And I was, Oh, maybe five or six months postpartum. I had been doing some grappling, but my pelvis, like the joint of my pelvis, it popped and i kind of sprained it and i was like just from moving laterally too fast i mean it sounds ridiculous but that's you know women go through so much yeah. to, to be able to birth a baby that that like these were the trials and tribulations i had to go through and i was like i just moved laterally i tried to move laterally fast and like this is going to be very difficult i realized at that point that it's gonna be challenging and that I have to just go slow and steady. And that's something I think being at a more mature point in my life, I was prepared to do that as opposed to trying to rush it. When you're a younger athlete, you know, you just want more more more. More is always the better answer. There's never a less is more kind of attitude, I think, with like younger athletes. that wanna go, go, go and just full bore head. And now I think me being more mature, I was like, no, slow and steady, because more is not going to be more. It's not going to lend itself to getting me back faster. Slower is faster in this. So that's really what it was. I just, every day... I got in, I did jujitsu, I did strength training, I did what I could do. And I stayed away from the things that I couldn't, you know, I also had some like pelvic floor, which is like that kind of, if you don't know, it's like what holds everything up and in, right. But it's a strong base at the muscle. But after you have kids, right, you have to kind of strengthen that slow and steady too. So I could not run. I haven't run in well over a year. I didn't run at all for my training camp zero. I did everything on the bike or in the pool or anything low impact. Cause I thought, you know what I can fight. I'm feeling really good. Once I got past that six month hurdle, I started to resemble an athlete. Again, I started to feel like an athlete. I started to move. I got over kind of the hurdles of those little weird injuries. And I was like, okay, this is not unrealistic. I could definitely do this. And at about eight months postpartum, I booked my fight. I booked the fight. And that's when we really started to hone in on sharpening skill sets and whatnot. But I mean, the majority of that past year was just getting my body back to, I I keep saying back, but that's not even the right terminology. I never thought about it as like back to this because I evolved past that point. You know, I, I moved forward into something better.
0: I was gonna ask you, you said to you started to evolve into something where you felt like an athlete again. And I was gonna ask if it was the same athlete you were prior to having your kids or if it was a different type of athlete this time around.
1: Well, I hit the point where I felt like I was where I once was, and then I passed that point.
0: And, and that and, was very motivating for me. Yeah. That's a, yep. that's awesome. How so? What do you think you're better at
1: now? I'm definitely faster without a shadow of a doubt. I'm definitely faster than I am. And I think it's a mind-body connection. I think in part, it has to do with having children. And again, having that confidence that if I set my mind to it, I can do it. I didn't have that before in the way that I do now. I also think getting rid of a lot of the dead weight in my life has given me a sort of lightness that translates over into the octagon. I think when we fight, we sort of resemble what our, how our life is at the time, you know, when we go into our fights, we, you know, some people are slow starters. They need to get hit before they really start going. Some people go out and they, you know, they're fast burners and they want to finish the fight in one one round, you know, so different things contribute to where our mind is and where we tell ourselves we are. But I just understand my body in a different way to get it, to pull from all angles. And I, I work with training labs now and coach Cal, he's just Phenomenal. I just want to give him a huge shout out because yeah. he turned my body into basically a mathematical equation and a science experiment, although less on the experiment side. I mean, we knew he knew what he was doing. So I didn't feel like an experiment, but I felt like a project, a science project, and a math project. <laughs> and he broke it down in an individual basis on a daily basis for me to not guess anymore. Because as fighters, it's not a sport where you make a lot of money per se, you can, but majority of fighters to struggle financially. And I never had access to these things before to the people that could really get me to that next level. And Coach Cal is one of those people. So I learned a lot about, yes, a speed, agility, fast-twitch muscle fiber, how to increase that. And I have, and I feel... I feel damn good.
0: (laughs) Were there any exercises that he introduced you to or or training methods that you had never done before that you found somewhat eye-opening or that were particularly good for you? Yeah, we did a lot of bike work. So basically we would work out really
1: hard before we work out, which is kind of backwards, right? I mean, usually you warm up, You do your, maybe you do your, your strength training and then you do your, you know, you push with some conditioning at the end and then that's it. You know, we kind of hit it hard from the very beginning, get into a a fatigue state and then we go to work and we work under duress the, um, so
0: the entire time. So the fatigue state, you, you would do like your conditioning stuff first and then move on to the skill stuff, like the grappling, the striking. Exactly. About how many hours a day were you working out?
1: I would work out for, I would say about, I'm conservative when I estimate my times, but Mm -hmm. I would say three to four hours a day. And I, I also, I still keep the less is more. I think athletes have a lot of trouble with that. And I used to as well. I used to think I've got to be in the gym for hours and hours and hours. And you know what? I think at some point in your career, before you've really established yourself and when you're still trying to get there, maybe that is an important process for you to go through that as your mindset and work, you know, see and know you're working harder than anybody else. But truthfully, it's not the smartest way because you're Mm -hmm. burning at both ends. And there's only so long that you can be sustainable at that point. And once you realize that you move on to the next level, which is a less is more kind of attitude, recovery is very important. Giving yourself a break from the gym is very important recovery days are essential. And so are recovery times when it's even just taking one hour out of your day, every day to just, I don't know, do nothing, nothing that it has to do with the sport, get in the hyperbaric chamber and just chill or make a meal that you want or spend time with your kids or garden or whatever, you know, these are things that I do. So I don't know what other people do for their enjoyment, but you know, meditate, whatever it is, like just get away from it all. Those resets are important.
0: I was going to ask you if you had any favorite recovery methods I've seen you on Instagram in the hyperbaric chamber. Is there anything else you feel at at this point like you can't live without
1: sauna? I love the sauna mm-hmm. and I've been doing red light therapy, which everyone tells me is just next level. Fantastic. And, and, uh, it's one of those things that I enjoy, I enjoy to do it. So it doesn't, you know, but I think when I'm doing everything else, it's difficult to pinpoint the one thing, you know, or, you know, if that's like making a big difference or it's not, but I like it and I do it and I believe in the science research. So I would say red light, uh, hyperbaric and sauna. Those are the things that are my key recoveries. Cool.
0: I've also seen on your Instagram, you doing things like power cleans and training with a mace, uh, doing a lot of kettlebells. What are the other kind of non-traditional, but not fighting things that you like to do to get your body ready?
1: A lot of medicine ball work too. So it's all free weight stuff. A lot of it's body weight stuff because we have to be prepared for our level of physical exhaustion, but what's different about MMA than just about any other sport is that we also have to prepare to translate someone else's body weight into what we're factoring in, into our max heart rates and how that factors in, right? So it's not just about moving us, but it could be about direction change while moving someone else. Mm-hmm. and they're going to have their own movement. So they're a moving and changing object. You know, they're not something that we completely have control over. So I think dynamic movement is very important for our sport. So a lot of times we take very heavy medicine balls and uh, a release I do under the program and at changing directions with weight or having the medicine ball thrown at me. And I have to make a certain movement according to, and I don't know which direction it's coming from. And I'm moving and the ball is moving and the person holding the ball is moving. Then there's a lot of calculations that have to be done in my mind and with my body to make these things happen, but it's very accurate to what we deal with in the sport.
0: Do you, I always ask athletes this, are there exercises that you do that you love to hate the ones that you can't stand doing, but you know, they're good for you. Oh yeah. All of them.
1: (laughs) 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 Pretty much all of them. It's always a love hate relationship. Like, I know when I show up on those days for those strength and conditioning sessions, I'm like, oh Lord, please help me. I have to do them in the morning because there's no way I could spend all day thinking about that. I have to do it first thing in the morning and just get it out of the way so that I can spend the rest of the day. Feeling good about what I accomplished, as opposed to looking still like, oh god, at five p.m. that workout's coming. Like, no, they're (laughs) so hard. It's like I gotta get it done in the morning. But specifically, the arm pedaler. Do you know what that is? Like, like the arm bike thing. Yeah, except we do it on the floor, so in a push-up position. Oh Jesus! Okay. Yeah, and so I just I always. I don't know. Like I hated that one so much at first and I struggled, especially with the core, trying to get my core onto the next level that now when I do it, it's still really hard because we're upping the numbers and my rotations per minute, but it's something that I feel like I've gotten so much better at but it's still dreadful. Does that make sense? So there's a sense of each time that
0: I do it, that I'm like, (laughs) okay, you know what? I'm doing this and I'm doing good at it. (laughs) This may be an ignorant question from someone who's never been in a fight. That wasn't just a few punches on an ice rink in a hockey game. Do you have to train to be able to take punches specifically again? And how do you do that? If you do so,
1: Yes. And no, we obviously taking punches is a part of what we do. So yes, you do need to be prepared for it. And the best ways to train for that is one is to have a very strong neck so that if, and when you get hit, you can absorb that shot. And then having a strong neck is very important. Also, sometimes we do, we work on just having the bracing, our core bracing our neck. And depends on your coach. Maybe some athletes don't do this, but With my coaches, we do sometimes work where they have the mitts on, right? And they're just like, they're in your forehead, right? Not Mm -hmm. like just snucking your head off your shoulders, but just getting you braced for when you see that shot coming and you're not going to be able to get out of the way of it. Let's find how our body can deal with it the best way. And the best way to do that is to run some, some reps on that, you know? So Again, it's nothing that, like I said, where my head's being taken off my shoulders, you know, I'm perfectly braced. I know these things are coming, but it's running repetitions. in in that case that, yeah, okay. Or maybe I want it. I, maybe I want to take one to give one, maybe I need to, to get the fight yeah. to the ground. It's just something I'm going to have to do. So how do we brace for that? Again, strong neck, strong shoulders, braced back, braced core, and have it in a biting down on the mouthpiece and being ready to also target where that shot lands. Mm -hmm. So you don't want it to land right in your jaw and your mouth and your nose. So when you see the punch coming and you're like, I'm going to absorb this one, you also target that strike to land in the best position for you, which is generally like the top of the head and kind of the hard part. And you can also break someone's hand. You can have the intention of breaking someone's hand by headbutting their fist. So essentially, <laughs> you do practice that sometimes where you headbutt the fist so you are more prepared for that punch to land than they are.
0: I'm going to say, I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to go out and try and headbutt someone's fists. Just saying, (laughs) I do not recommend that. But if you're going to get hit, (laughs) it might be the best strategy. (laughs) I'm also thinking now you're training so many hours a day and I believe you're still breastfeeding your son. Is that true? I am. I am. So that's an extra like 500 calories a day and you're burning so much already uh, in the gym and training. What does a day of eating look like for you? I love my food for sure. (laughs) it depends if I'm
1: in camp or if I'm out of camp right now, it's a little bit more lax and I'm kind of in a growth phase. So I'm sticking around like between 22 and 2,500 calories a day. And my fats to protein to fat to carbs is about a 40, 30, 30 ratio. So I try to just kind of be mindful of that, but I'm not weighing my food at this point because I'm far enough out that I have a general census, right. And I eat to what I need. And I kind of know how to do that after this last camp where I was extremely diligent as I'm moving further into camp, if weight loss is a, or it was for my last camp, I was weighing everything out. I was about 1800 calories every day and uh, similar fat to proteins, to carbs breakdown um, with some, some micro adjustments at times, just depending how my body was doing but that's really it. You know, it was like five ounces of chicken or five ounces of lean red meat per meal, egg whites, things to help get more protein. That was a huge change for me because I had never paid attention to that before. And once I started putting my food all written down and I had it out in front of me, how much I was actually eating of protein. Like sometimes I was as low as 40 grams a day. Wow.
0: That's insane. What are you shooting for now?
1: now between 120 to maybe 150. Okay. So you're, so you're
0: mostly looking at macros. You're not doing a specific, you're not paleo or keto or a vegan or anything. You're just looking at macros and putting in what you need to put in.
1: And micronutrients, to be honest, too, I'm paying attention to that as well. Like what, how much calcium do I need? if I eat a whole foods diet and I try to balance it all out, I'm essentially, my goal is to eat all the nutrients that I need with those limitations with the 1800 calories, with the balance of fats and carbs, but not need a multivitamin. Okay. That would be like in a perfect world. I'm looking at those things. I'm trying to get all of my nutrition from food. I eat all organic and, or as much as possible, no processed foods. And that's that's pretty much it.
0: Are there any foods that you, aside from the processed foods that are, are there any foods that you no longer eat? Like, you know, some people decide I can't eat beans or I can't eat red meat or eggs are bad for me, you know,
1: (laughs) you know, I've slowed down a lot on dairy. I don't really do milk anymore, maybe as a treat, but I find that it, it seems to bloat me. I seem to have just a little bit of an adverse reaction to it, and that's really it. You know, I I still dairy is also my absolute favorite food on the face of the planet, though next to carbs. But I would choose cheese over bread if I really if push came to shove. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hate to even think about that, but yes. So I still do cheese, uh, but a lot of times I'm supplementing goat cheese as opposed to just regular. And I kind of like one day I'll do a little goat cheese, and one day I'll do an ounce of cheddar cheese or something, a little bit of sour cream. And other than that, I pretty much stay away from dairy. My son also had a dairy allergy when he was born up until he was about 10 months old. So I had to do dairy free then anyways. And that's kind of what brought me on to the whole like change, you know, that, oh, and it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. So I've made some changes. Do you cook? I do. I do. I love to cook a meal for people like to have dinner. I really enjoy cooking, but meal prep cooking is not something that's just work, you know, but yes, I do. And my mom helped me tremendously this last camp. She came down for the entire month. And so I would tell her mom, I need you to steam the broccoli for me and weigh it out in five ounce portions and put it in the fridge, you know, and she would do it. (laughs) It's great.
0: Awesome. She was incredible. What's your go-to pre-fight or pre-workout meal? So I don't like meals before I
1: work out. Some people can handle that. But for me, um, it's like, you can, you can bars. Okay. Have you heard of that? I've heard of them. Yes. I've never had one. They're really good. So they have this, a starch basically that is a sustainable energy. So I will take a, you can like peanut butter bar and I'll have one of those before I work out. Or I'll have a scoop of the, you Can starch in my water and I'll drink about half of that before I start working out. And then I'll finish the other half as I'm working out. But honestly, I would say the biggest difference for me, I don't like having something heavy in my stomach because all those workouts, the really tough ones, you always feel like you're going to vomit. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to do like a banana or like, I don't know, like pre-workout sometimes I've just never been a big fan, but I've tried a few different pre-workouts but you always, I always feel like I didn't like having something like that in my stomach when I worked out. So, anyways, the Ucan is just a beautiful way to sustain your energy during the workout, which I've never, I've never experienced that. There's always a point where, and if I don't do it right with Ucan, I'll hit it, I'll also hit that wall where it's like hmm. I just have nothing left. But if I manage to get it in at the right time before my workout, and I continue to have that during my in my water while I'm drinking. I don't hit that wall. I don't. Not saying I don't get tired, but you know that sickening tired Mm -hmm. where you're almost like your stomach's reaching for something. It's like I need energy from my, my, you know, my stomach's like, and you just feel like you're like, oh, you get like just you, uh, you want to puke and pass out at the same time. I don't feel that when I take. You can properly. And I do it the right way. And I'm not like rushing myself. I don't have that experience, which is wonderful because the workouts are hard enough themselves. I don't need any help making it any tougher.
0: That's funny. I always say that feeling feels like the bottom fell out. Like there's just nothing there <laughs> anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, a sickening feeling. So, what, what do you do when your fights are at nighttime? Sometimes these UFC fights don't start till very late. How does that change your eating during the day? If you're not a person who loves to have food in your belly? So the fights start somewhat late. I thought
1: my last fight was at 830. So I knew that moving forward, it wasn't going to be a super late, late fight card. So since I started doing this new program, which is only for my last fight, because I was retired for four years, <laughs> I essentially would stop eating by 7 p.m. and be in bed by 10. And that was it, really. I just tried to hit about a 12-hour fast. So I would eat again by 7 a.m. in the morning. And, um, it worked out really easy and well for the fight. I think I probably didn't eat anything else after about six on fight day. Yeah. It was about 6 PM and it was perfect. Yeah. I kept it really simple and I, I didn't change anything either. Like after weigh-ins cause like some fighters like to go way off and this after weigh-ins they're like, they can go ham, you know? So they would just to yeah. eat everything in sight. But I just wanted to stay consistent with what my body was used to because, the weigh-ins is is one aspect of it. A lot of people coin that the fight before the fight. But for me, I was so well-prepared. I barely had any weight cut. So I didn't bounce way up in weight. I wasn't such an ugly part of what we have to do to make a certain weight. And then a lot of times fighters blow up and they're carrying all this extra fluid and it really doesn't lend itself to being the best athlete, like what sport in your right mind, would you ask somebody to dehydrate themselves and starve themselves the day before they're supposed to have the best performance of their life? And, and to the point where if you were hospitalized, they would like rush you into the emergency room and like be getting IVs and you that like, then they'd be like, where, what happened? Were you stuck in the desert for like three days? Like, massively, massively dehydrating. So I did not do that this time. I prepared so well to not have that type of a weight cut. And so I didn't bounce back up high in weight. I didn't have all these urges to want to cram food into my body and cram liquids into my body, which a lot of fighters do because they're heavily depleting themselves. But to me, I think it makes the most sense to stay close to your fight weight and not deprive yourself and go through all these extreme ups and downs. Uh, leading into your fight. So that's what you're, I to do.
0: You're a bantam weight, correct? So that's 135. Do you right. typically walk around around 135 then? So before I
1: used to walk around at about 147. Okay. And and you can cut fight, twelve pounds. Yeah, the wheat well, at the latter point of my career I did. I didn't realize that cortisol was such a ugly hormone when it comes to trying to lose weight in any capacity. Plus I also was suffering from hypothyroidism. So I was super stressed and I didn't realize that I had hypothyroidism. So I was eating like a rabbit. I was so depleted in all my training sessions, yet the weight wasn't coming down. So I've learned a lot since then. So I was walking about 147. I would manage to get myself down to about 144 and then I would cut, which means that would be basically dehydrate all the way down to about 135 or 136 depending on if it was a championship fight or not. But now I keep my weight now about 144 is what I've been back up up to since just enjoying myself after mm-hmm. fight camp. Yeah, and then we diet down and yeah, maybe I go I don't cut very much cuz that's just me kind of like what I would coin, coin myself like fat and happy now, you know, 144 <laughs> to one, 144, 145, just kind of chilling in the growth phase of camp. So
0: smaller, but stronger. So that's like, you were saying you're eating like around 22 ish. And then if you had a fight, you would cut down to that 1800 ish and you'd get down to that weight in like a normal way, as opposed to not drinking any water for three days or or riding a bicycle in a sauna, in a rubber suit that happens too. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yep. No, I don't want to do any of that. It was such a learning experience for me this last camp. Yeah.
0: How have your kids changed your outlook on training and on your diet and on the rigidity of all those things? So my children, how do I say it the best? They, they
1: balance me out as a person. So it's none of my workouts are any less important or don't get done. It's just, I have a more flexible schedule now where it used to be a little bit more like I've got to be here at this time. So now I, I build my schedule around my children's needs, but I make sure it gets done. You know, I, the time that it gets done, a lot of times I do it before, my daughter even wakes up. Sometimes I'm out the door. I nurse my son and I'm out the door and Johnny, my fiance will watch the baby. And then my daughter's up and then I'm back in time for him to go train. And we high five each other as he leaves (laughs) and I take over the kids and we just make it work. You know, we're a team. And we, again, we've relied externally a lot of times for like my mother and sitters and family and friends, but everybody's been great. It does truly take a village to raise children. It's, It's true.
0: Not important, but how nice is that for you that your husband is also or fiance is also a fighter and and knows what you go through to accomplish what you need to accomplish? It's so nice.
1: I mean, my ex was also a fighter, but he was competing with me. And that was a really ugly part of being in a relationship with a fighter. And that, and now with Johnny, I have a totally different perception on what that can be. He never takes away from me. He never takes away in any way. He's always adding. I don't understand how he does it, how he's just so amazing and so awesome in so many ways. But he does, you know, he will work so hard for me whatever that I need. um, I'm not the most, I forget things. Like I'm, I'm not the most regimented person. I'm not the most organized person when it comes to like keeping my schedule and putting in things, always remembering. So sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, honey, like I forgot this or I scheduled the sitter on the wrong day. Can you please come home? I got to go to training, you know? And he will, like, he'll make it happen. Like that's what's awesome about being with him is he understands what has to go into it. And he's, he works with me on all those levels to It helped me to be the very best version of myself. So very grateful for that.
0: What are your goals now that you've returned to UFC? What's next for you? I
1: want to get a title. That's what I want to do. I want to become a champion again. Yeah, there's a lot of naysayers out there, people who just don't believe it's possible, but I've done the impossible before, so to me that's nothing more than a word and I don't care what other people's expectations or limitations are for me. It has no bearing on what I can and cannot do. And I'm more capable now than I ever was before. So I became a world champion on far less than ideal circumstances, far less, and I did it then, and I look at that accomplishment and I say, I don't know how I did that. I don't know how I got there with the situations that I was in. And I say, what's stopping me now? Really? Like, what's stopping me? I'm mean, in such a great place mentally, emotionally. And physically I'm stronger, better, faster. And people were wondering that going into my last fight, but I think I answered a lot of questions, mm-hmm. but now of course people were like, well, we want to see you fight someone tougher, or someone this, or someone there's always going to be more that people want to question about me, but I have plenty of answers up my sleeve. So we mm-hmm. just got to wait for the next fight. That's it. So I'm
0: hoping maybe sometime in November, November. So before the end of the year, that's great. Yep. Um, how can people follow you? What's the best way to keep track of, of what's going on in your world?
1: Well, you can follow me on all my social medias. It's M I E S H a don't, uh, it's I before E that good old <laughs> rule for spelling. If it goes for my name too, because there's plenty of those fake accounts out there. So don't, uh, get, get uh, sucked into that, roped into those. So, um, but it's just at Misha Tate on pretty much every social platform. You'll find me there and that's it really. Really? Yeah. I think that's
0: it. Cool. Well, I wish you the best of luck and I thank you so much for uh, joining us. This is, it's been great to talk to you and uh, I can't wait to see the next fight. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Misha. Thanks so much to Misha for joining us today. You can follow along on her Instagram and Twitter, both at Misha Tate for updates on her training and her upcoming fights. Next time on Food of the Gods, we'll talk with American tennis player and former University of Virginia standout, Danielle Collins, fresh off her first WTA tour tournament victory in Palermo, Italy, as she gears up for the American hard court season and the U.S. Open. Until then... For more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at, at podcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.